You're listening to Chameleon Church. Biblical antidotes for the modern man. With your host, Alan Aguirre. A Faceless Gen production. shall we then live? We're going to look at how the, what the scriptures say about how we should live. See how I just repeated myself so we could get it on tape on the, for the podcast? Yeah. Okay, so we have here Matthew 22, verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Few are chosen. We're setting it up here. Many are called, few are chosen. It says that it's a restrictive path. And the word in the Greek, it's like there's stuff going against the flow, like barbs against your flow. So if I'm going this way, there's stuff going this way to keep me from being able to go forward. It's a restrictive path, and few find it. It's never been a numbers game. Uh, We know there is a million plus people that Moses led out of Egypt. They weren't all Jews either. We know that because it says that. There was non-Hebrew people with them. Gentiles, when they left Egypt. And of all those people that left Egypt, the first census in the, in the, in the desert was uh, of, the, of the fighting men of Israel, which is about 20 to 40 years of age, was over 500,000. That was the, the number of the fighting men. That's not women and children uh, or older gentlemen either. Uh, over 500,000. The second census that was taken in the desert was over 600,000 people. And the people from the first census weren't included in that census because they were all dead because God killed them off in the desert because of their fear, doubt, and unbelief. We've talked about that. If you weren't here for that, if you go to our podcast and go back and check out the Kingdom of Heaven series that I did, you'll, you'll get this information in there. That's a lot of people. Paul says bodies were strewn throughout the desert. I mean, people were dying left and right because of their sin. And Paul explains what kind of sins they were involved with. Basically just gross negligence and disobedience. Grumbling, mumbling, complaining, uh, sexual morality, that kind of stuff. Then when they get to across the Jordan, where they're kind of holding in a holding pattern at Gilgal, before they go and attack Jericho, the sons of the sons of promise, they weren't circumcised because there was no circumcision in the desert, so Joshua has to circumcise them, Joshua chapter 5. Because see, their entire families, all, their, all those clans had been wiped out in the desert. So... To the best of our understanding, we know that two people that left Egypt actually walked into the promised land. Caleb and Joshua. That's two. Two humans out of multiple millions left Egypt. Two of those people we know for a fact actually entered the promised land. That's not a good ratio. Possibly Eleazar, the priest, and his son 
Phineas might have been in that number. We don't know. Aaron, Miriam, Moses only got to see the promised land. My son was the one that revealed to me that, hey, Papa, you know, Moses did enter the land. What are you talking about? He was in the Mount of Transfiguration. So he did enter the land. It's not about the numbers. Twelve spies go in, and 80% of those came out saying, the sons of the Anakim are in there. The descendants of the Nephilim are in the land and put fear and doubt in the people. And for the 40 days that were in there, they were going to wander the desert for 40 years because they, went, they, they resisted. Only two of those guys, Caleb and Joshua, uh, a mere 20% of that number said, hey, we got this thing. We can do this. It's never been about the numbers. God creates a supernatural people group unto himself. I will be your God, you will be my people, the nation of Israel. And their prime directive is to usher in Messiah for the rest of us. See, that's something we really don't understand. That whole thing was for the lost tribes of Israel. Ten nations. The Gentile nations. And when Jesus comes and leaves, only 120 of them are in the upper room. That's not a large number out of a whole nation. This nation was designed to usher in Messiah, and they missed it. So it's never been about the numbers. Few are chosen. Many are called. Few are chosen. The path is restrictive. Few find it. Alright, this is going to be in Mark 13. For in those days there will be tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning when God created the universe, until now. So it's going to be a whole new type of deal. And there will be nothing like it again. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom He chose, He shortened the days. So apparently He's the one that, right? He chooses us. It's not like work so cool and we can make this decision on our own. It has nothing to do with us. So there's an elect. There's a small number. Once again, the numbers are small. John 15, 16. You did not choose me. I chose you. And I have commissioned you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. He chooses us, the elect, We didn't choose Him. He chose us to bear fruit. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, My Father is a gardener. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, He he cuts off and throws into the fire. How do you bear fruit? In that same conversation, Jesus says, By obeying His Torah. By obeying God's commandments. That's the only way you can bear fruit. Then we find in Matthew, the goats are saying, but wait, how do you not know us? We've done all these things in your name. Raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, speak in tongues. And he says, I don't know you. Why? Because they were using gifts to qualify themselves as sheep. Giftings, not fruit. There's a big difference. Bearing fruit and having gifts, spiritual gifts, are not the same thing. Apparently, Jesus says, I only know those that do the will of my Father, and the will of the Father is to bear fruit. Not giftings. Big difference. And as we all know, the the church at large is all about the giftings. Very little fruit. We're in trouble. So he chose us to bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And then in Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons through Yeshua, the Messiah, to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. 
So there's a theme going on here. He's the one that's doing all the action or all the activity in regards to calling us, choosing us, predestining us for His will. The good pleasure of His will to bear fruit. And there's only a few of those people that we're talking about. 1 Peter 1, 13-19. This is how we're supposed to live. This is what the Bible tells us. The New Testament instruction on how we're supposed to live. Get your minds ready for work. Keep yourselves under control. And fix your hopes fully on the gift you will receive when Yeshua the Messiah is revealed. As people who obey God, do not let yourselves be shaped by the evil desires you used to have when you were still ignorant. On the contrary, following the Holy One who called you, become holy yourselves in your entire way of life. Since the Tanakh, the Old Testament says, you are to be holy because I am holy. That's, he's quoting Leviticus 11.44, 45. Leviticus 19.2. Leviticus 20, verse 7. Also, if you are addressing as father the one who judges impartially according to each person's actions, you should live out your temporary stay on earth in fear. You should be aware that the ransom paid to free you from the worthless way of life which your fathers passed on to you did not consist of anything perishable like silver or gold. On the contrary, it was the costly, bloody, sacrificial death of the Messiah as of a lamb without defect or spot. We have been taught for so long basic Christian doctrine and theology is that God's going to do your job for you. How many times have we done that? The way we pray. We pray like that. We have been taught and modeled to pray, for, pray to God to do our job for us. He's going to whatever it is. And we're not, I'm not talking about healing and stuff like that. If there's a character or a personality change that has to occur in our lives, we usually go, hey God, free me from this. Or I, I, I don't even have a good example of it. But, it. but do you understand what I'm saying? I always say... How long would you be able to keep your job if you kept showing up at work and asking your boss to do your job for you? You'd be fired immediately. But we're constantly asking God to do what He says is our responsibility to do. And that's how we've been taught. Christianity as large has done that. They've taught us that you have no responsibility in this relationship and God's going to do everything for you. Let me give you some information. Everything God's going to do for you has already been done. The complete work of Jesus on the cross fulfilled everything He's ever going to do for you. Period. The rest is your responsibility. It is your responsibility to walk sinless. It is your responsibility to say no to sin, to your habitual sin, or whatever it is. It's your responsibility to seek Him and His kingdom. It's your responsibility to draw near to Him. Right? Draw near to Him and then He'll draw near to you. It's your responsibility to um, aggressively, right? Uh, he's a rewarder of those that diligently pursue after Him. If you're not diligently pursuing after Him, He's not around. It's our responsibility to do all the work, right? We're created for what? Good works in Christ. James says, you show me your salvation through faith, I'll show you my, my salvation through works. Faith without works is dead. We haven't figured that out. The majority of them are like, oh, works are bad. Because what they do is, they, it's a convoluted concept in their mind because they think we're talking about salvation. You're not saved by works. We're not talking about salvation. 
How many of you need salvation right now? Oh, you're all saved, aren't you? Right. So we're talking about what happens after we get saved. Your faith without works is dead, is what James taught us. I think he has an, an idea of what's going on. He was a leader of the church, and Jesus' is his brother. He knows what he's talking about. Peter is telling us a whole bunch of stuff here, and how it's on us to control. Our mind, we have, we have to get your minds ready, keep yourselves under control. Do not let yourselves be shaped by the evil desires you used to have. This is all Torah. What else does it say here? This is a great, great piece here. On the contrary, following the Holy One who called you because become holy yourselves in your entire way of life. He's not walking our life for us. <laughs> he saved us so we, could, so we could live life abundantly. This is all on us. This is our responsibility. That's how we should live. We should be living like this. He quotes the Torah. Live out your temporary stay on earth in fear. Not afraid, of course. We, know, we, we all know what that means, right? And in the fear of the Lord. And, the, and that's the beginning of wisdom. And we know that wisdom is tied in with Torah. You should be aware that the ransom paid to free you from the worthless way of life was through the bloody sacrificial death of Messiah. Alright, which one's next? Okay, First Peter again. Chapter 2. Verses 1 through 2. Verses 9. And 11 through 12. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. We pray that, oh God, take this from me. Take this malice away from me. See, you know what I'm talking about? That's how we were taught to pray. That's how we were told to pray. Oh God, you do these things on our behalf. And he's going, what are you talking about? That's not my job. I already did my job. I sent my son. Now it's on you to walk in that salvation. What was that thing in the Kingdom of Heaven series that Bill Johnson said? At some point, Christians have to become convinced of their own salvation. (laughs) Of their own conversion. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. See, Peter's teaching a whole different theology than we're used to hearing from mainstream Christianity. Of all deceit, rid yourselves of all malice, of all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. And of all the ways there are of speaking against people. Ooh. Yikes. And be like newborn babies, thirsty for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into deliverance. Oh God, grow me up. Father, mature me. Right? We pray like this. This is saying something completely different. You are a chosen people, the king's kohanim, or priest, a holy nation, a people for God to possess. Why? In order for you to declare the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents not to give in to the desires of your old nature, which keep warring against you, but to live such good lives among the pagans that even though they now speak against you as evildoers... Wow! That happened a couple weeks ago, didn't it? Our buddy Phil from uh, Duck Dynasty, happy, happy, happy. Right? They asked him a question. He answered them based on his position. And he's evil now. And they all came against him. Well, as of yesterday, A&E retracted that and he's back on the show. But to live such good lives among the pagans that even though they now speak against you as evildoers, they will, as a result of seeing your good actions... Give glory to God in the day of His coming. That's a heavy responsibility. 
You mean, we're supposed to be influencing the pagans? To an understanding of our way of life? To our position? Real quick. You are a chosen people, the king's kohanim. And your version is a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for God to possess. How many have heard that before? You've heard it our whole Christian life. Do you know that that's not like some revelation that Peter got? I don't know if you know that. That's not like some super revelation that Peter got. He's quoting the law in, from three different places and two prophets to come up with that piece. That's the law and the prophets right there. And I have the actual verses written down in another teaching. But he got that out of the law and the, and the prophets. So, let's just go on a little rabbit trail real quick. We've been told and taught that Jesus did away with the law and the prophets. So then what's he doing quoting them? See, there's no way they can defend that position with any credibility. Because if Jesus did away with the law and the prophets, and it's not applicable to us as New Testament Gentile believers, none of the law, then we need to go in through our Bible with a marker and start covering up whole chunks of the New Testament and then ripping out whole books of the Old Testament, including the Psalms. The Psalms, David, all day long. The law is good. The law, I love your law. Your law is, oh my gosh. In case you didn't know, Peter got that from three, from two or three verses. Sure, what are they? Um, Isaiah 43, 20 and 21. Isaiah 43, 20 and 21. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, 6. Deuteronomy 7, 6. And 10, 15. And 10, verse 15. Exodus. 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 Yeah. We studied it today. Awesome. Yeah. He, got, he used two or three sightings from the Torah and, and, and one or two prophets to get that. For you to, to tell the New Testament church that we're a royal priesthood. The king's kohanim. It's awesome stuff. Their argument is so not true. Alright, this one is First Peter. Notice we're doing a lot of Peter. I think we're actually going through the whole thing. Because Peter's got some good stuff to say. First Peter, chapter 4. 7 through 11. The accomplishing of the goal of all things is close at hand. Therefore, keep alert and self-controlled so that you can pray. More than anything, keep loving each other actively because love covers many sins. Welcome one another into your homes without grumbling. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Practical. As each one has received some spiritual gift, he should use it to serve others, like good managers of God's many-sided grace. If someone speaks, let him speak God's words. If someone serves, let him do so out of strength that God supplies so that in everything God may be glorified through Yeshua the Messiah. I like that one about having others in your home. Welcome one another into your homes without grumbling. That's called community. That's called covenant community. We have, I bet you a lot of us have been in churches where you didn't really see other families or whatever outside of the Sunday morning service or Wednesday night service. Because it just wasn't normal to be hanging out at each other's homes. That's weird. It's, we're being encouraged to do that. Keep alert and self-controlled. Something that we... Those of us that came here 10 months ago, something that we tell each other to, to keep ourselves in line and in track is, 
don't forget, we don't live here. Don't get comfy. Don't get comfy wumfy with your little jobs, with your little lives. That's not why we came here. We didn't come here to live. We came here to do kingdom. We came here to serve. We came here to bring Jesus to this mountain to prepare people for his return. We didn't come here to live a normal life. And so we tell each other that to remind ourselves of that because it's really easy to do. Start getting all... What do you tell Israel? Deuteronomy 8.18 when, when, you, when you've got your nice big house and you've got your big fatted calves and you know you got all... Oh, look at what I've done. He goes, no. Remember, it was I, God, who did this for you that gave you the power to make wealth and the ability to do that. Because he said, you're going to get all comfy-wumpy. Don't do that in the land. So we, we encourage each other of this. Keep alert and self-controlled. Let's see if there's another one here. This was like three weeks ago. All right, Second Peter, chapter 1, 2 through 11. May grace and shalom be yours in full measure as you come to a full knowledge of God and Yeshua our Lord. You come to a full knowledge of God and Yeshua our Lord. It's on you to come to this full knowledge. That's what he just said. How shall we then live? Like this. You. It's on you to come to a full knowledge of God and Yeshua our Lord. Not your pastor. Not your elder. Not your television evangelist or your web evangelist. Not your youth pastor. You. As you come to a full knowledge of God and Yeshua our Lord. God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We talked about that, right? He's already done everything He's going to do for us. God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So, you know, how many times have you talked to Christians or Christians will tell you, Oh, you know, this, this Christianity thing is so hard, I just can't, I can't change. No, 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 no. That's not what it says here. It says we have everything we need for godliness. Through our knowing, the one who called us to his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us valuable and superlatively great promises, so that through them, you might come to share in God's nature, and escape the corruption which evil desires have brought into the world. For this very reason, try your hardest to furnish your faith. Try your hardest to furnish your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, Self-control with perseverance. Perseverance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. Alright? You want to know how we should live? There's your list. Furnish your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with perseverance. Perseverance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. God's not going to do that for you. He said He's given us all the tools we need to be that. But it's going to be on you to become that. If I give you a car with the key and a full tank of gas, you still need to get into it, turn it on, start it, and drive away. That's about the goofiest analogy I can think of, but... Right? He's given us everything we need. Are we going to utilize the tools that He's given us? He's given us the ability to become this and to be this. For if you have these qualities in abundance, they keep you from being barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. I have seen 
scores of barren and unfruitful believers in Jesus. Want to know why? Because they don't have these qualities. So they're not being kept from that. If you have these qualities, the list he just gave you in abundance, they keep you from being barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. And he only knows those that do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is for us to bear fruit. Indeed, whoever lacks them is blind, so short-sighted that he forgets that his past sins have been washed away. How many people do we know are still in bondage with their past? Family, divorce, death, failures, sin. It's just like this constant cycle of their past. You know, it's like their identity. They forgot that their sins have been washed away. Therefore, brothers, try even harder. Try even harder to make your being called and chosen a certainty. Man. Apparently, you have the power to make sure you're being called by God. Remember how He called us? We didn't choose Him. He chose us. You, I, we can qualify that calling. And make sure that our being chosen is is certain, it's secure. For if you keep doing this, if you keep doing this, you will never stumble. (laughs) There you go. Gosh. So if you do these, what is it, eight verses, it says you're not going to stumble. You're not going to fall, you're not going to stumble, you're not going to sin. That's what that word means, stumble. You'll walk accordingly, in alignment. Thus, you will be generously supplied with everything you need to enter the internal kingdom of our Lord and deliver Yeshua the Messiah. Oh, look! This is great stuff, man. And it's all on us. This is how we're supposed to live. This is how we're supposed to live. The question is, how then shall we live? How, how, what's the question again? How then shall we... How come I can't say that? How shall we then live? Why is that so difficult? How shall we then live? That's the question. Yeah. How shall we then live? Was that good enough Yoda? Was that Kermit? How do you do Yoda then? Isn't it Kermit? It's Grover. Oh, man. You like puppets? This is how we shall then live. I did it. And if we do this, we will be generously supplied with everything you need to enter the eternal kingdom of our Lord and deliver Yeshua the Messiah. Wow. It's not that difficult then, is it? We just laid out, through Peter, exactly what is required of us, expected of us, commanded of us, and this is the payoff. So why is this so hard? Because we just won't do everything we just read. Apparently it's doable. I think it's pretty basic, it's pretty fundamental, it's not hard, if we choose to do so. This is exciting. I'm all, I'm all excited, man. Because so many times in our lives, and in so many people's lives, it seems so 
un, like it's not it's not a tangible ideal or a tangible concept. It's like we can't grasp it. It's too you know what I'm saying? It's vague. It's you right? I mean, how many are all my opposition? If you look at my Facebook, all my opposition is convinced that it's not so cut and dry. It's not that black and white. It's not that clear. But and I'm in error because I'm not open to all these various versions of interpretation or, you know. Well, this makes it very cut and dry, very clear, very black and white, very sure and certain. Doesn't it? I mean, it narrows it all down. I like that. I don't believe God is... See, their perspective, my critics, their perspective and point of view is that God isn't really shooting fairly or square with us. It's too open-ended. There's no absolutes. I don't believe or I don't ever see God being like that in, in the Word, Old or New Testament. I see Him going, look, one, two, three, and you get four. And we're going, but what about two and a half? What about negative three? I mean, we do all this weird stuff when all we have to do is one, two, and three to get four. And Peter's laying out one, two, three, and here's four. So the first few verses, we talked about how, how God, what God did for us. He chose us, He selected us, and then Peter goes, and this is how you live this thing, based on our calling, for His good pleasure, for His will, for bearing good fruit that lasts. Contextually, that's what we just talked about. And here's everything we need to know. These last couple pieces in Peter. I don't even think there's anything left. I think this is it. I lied. Second Peter chapter 3, 8 through 14, and then verse 17. Moreover, dear friends, do not ignore this. Do not ignore this. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some people think of slowness. On the contrary, He is patient with you. For it is not His purpose that anyone should be destroyed but that everyone should turn from his sins. We're the ones that are supposed to be turning from our sins, not God turning us from our sin. We turn ourselves. However, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will melt and disintegrate, and the earth and everything in it will be burned up. Since everything is going to be destroyed like this, what kind of people should you be? You should lead holy and godly lives as you wait for the day of God and work to hasten its coming. That's a lot of authority. But then, in the Kingdom of Heaven series, didn't Jesus receive all authority in heaven and earth as a man? Because as God, He already had all authority in heaven and earth. Jesus the man, our, our older brother, receives all authority in heaven and earth, and then He gave it to us. That's a lot of authority. We can actually hasten this day. So what kind of people should you be? You should lead 
holy and godly lives as you wait for the day of God and work to hasten its coming. That day will bring on the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt from the heat. But we, following along with His promise, wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will be at home. Therefore, dear friends, as you look for these things, do everything you can be found by Him without spot or defect and at peace. Therefore, dear friends, as you look for these things, do everything you can to be found by Him without spot or defect and at peace. We've been told that He's coming for a spotless bride, right? Without defect. And I've been told by the church for 30 plus years that we will not be spotless or without blemish until we see Him. That's not what the Bible says. Peter says, do everything you can to be found by Him without spot or defect and at peace. And in Revelation it says, the bride readies herself. It's a perversion to think that the bridegroom is going to come and prepare his own bride. What culture does that happen in? I've never found that culture. So why are we waiting for the bridegroom to come and prepare us and dress us? That's weird. They're usually separated, right? The whole Jesus coming and leaving and coming back for us is how the Jewish weddings were, remember? They set up the whole thing. The, the guy will leave and set up and prepare a place for his wife, come back, then the wedding, and then they go together. That's what Jesus is doing. He's not coming back to prepare us. He's coming back after we prepare ourselves, Revelation says. When the Spirit and the Bride in unison say, Come, Lord Jesus. Do everything you can do to be found by Him without spot or defect and at peace. But you, dear friends, since you know this in advance, oops, we're already supposed to know this. Since you already know this in advance, guard yourselves, guard yourselves, so that you will not be led away by the errors of the wicked and fall from your own secure position that He previously said you need to make sure is secure. Wow, that's a lot of responsibility. And about 80% of us have no interest in it. The entire nation of Israel went to Mount Sinai. Right? Prepare the people to meet me. And when they got to Mount Sinai, did they hear His voice? Did they see Him? No. They heard thunder, they saw lightning, they saw an earthquake, flashes of light. I mean, it was horrible. They saw, they saw and heard everything but Him. And they were afraid and they said, Moses, we don't want anything to do with this. You go up to the mountain, you talk to God and we'll listen to you, Moses. And whatever you tell us, he's talking about. They, they balked at the personal relationship. That was the whole purpose of taking him to the desert, was to build that relationship. So he gave them Torah and said, alright, I'm going to put this oral Torah in written form and that's how you're going to have to deal with me. They balked at it. People don't like this idea. They don't, like, they don't want the responsibility. And that's fine. The best thing about Christianity is that you don't have to do it. It's a choice. I love that about this thing. You don't have to do it. But don't get weird then with the consequences. Accept the consequence. That's exciting to me. It's fair. It's a fair deal. 
2 Peter 3, 8 through 14, and then 17. Go home, read it, meditate on it. This is how we shall then live. I didn't tell you how you should live. Matthew did. John did. Peter did. These are the men that walked with him. Came out of your home Bible. I didn't make any of this up. I like that because now you can't say Alan's, Alan's talking some weird juju. Because I'm not. This is what the Bible says. I believe the Bible is true. The whole thing. Front to back. It's the absolute. It's the measuring rod. It's the plumb line. And if we do it, we'll get the results we see in it. It's when we don't do it that we don't get the results. We good? Everyone see how their Bible is telling them to do something you've been told isn't true? I like that. That's my favorite part about this whole thing. Christianity versus the Bible. I'm going with the Bible. Father, we pray for your spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand what it is you have already spoken. To understand what you've already done on our behalf. So that we can walk in that revelation. So that we can bear everlasting fruit. So that we can take care of our own business instead of tossing it on for you to do. Because you've already done what you're going to do for us, Father. You provided your son. That's huge. You provided your son to die in our stead. And to offer us a covenant, a blood covenant with us. And all we have to do is receive it and accept it and walk in the truth of that revelation. Because it also says that when you were born again, you became a new creation, a new creature. And your old, your whole entire past was wiped away and dealt with. That debt was paid. I was told a long time ago that when a young man receives Jesus, he trusts God for his future. And when an older man receives God, he's trusting God for his past. And it's true. And you've taken care of that, Father. You've taken care of that through the blood of your Lamb. You now look at us with a completely different, different perspective. Because we've been redeemed. We've been bought with a price. And now, you're requiring us to live a certain way. And if you buy into the Jesus thing, you have to buy into the how to live like Jesus thing. And how to live in the way that characterizes the fact that you have Jesus inside you. Otherwise, it doesn't work.